0: The following is a message by Dr. Howell Jones from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. Well, friends, it's great privilege for me to be standing here again and to have the opportunity of addressing you from God's word. I'm grateful for uh, the goodwill of my colleagues and the invitation to do so. Uh, we are going to be considering uh, Isaiah chapter 52 verse 13 to 53 12, not this morning in its entirety, uh, but over the next few weeks. And in that connection, I'd like to read From the book of the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 8. If you turn there with me, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Let us hear the word of God. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Amen, may God bless to us his word. The portion of scripture, of course, to which this refers is, as I've said, what will uh, occupy us for a few weeks to come, God willing. And Isaiah chapter 53, if I may conveniently refer to it in that abbreviated form, is the hinge of the prophecy recorded in that book, and it is much quoted in the New Testament. It, therefore, uh, is deservedly the best known in the book and the most loved by Christians. It's a most wonderful example of prediction and fulfillment which is, of course, a leading feature of Scripture as God's own written word. Now, this is the last of four songs in the midsection of the book of Isaiah. And it is also the longest, made up of five stanzas, and each stanza is a little longer than its predecessor. And, And finally, with the last which is not only the longest stanza, but the richest stanza of all, we are confronted with the great glory of the Lord Jesus Christ as a consequence of his suffering. This morning, I want to highlight the words with which verse 13 of chapter 52 opens, namely, Behold, my servant... There's a lot to be said for the English Standard Version translation, and one of the things to be said in its favor is that it restores the word behold that the New International Version excludes or softens. I say that not because behold is an archaism, and I'm an old guy, but because the word behold calls our attention, summons our attention. Beware of familiarity with the Bible. Remember, it is God's own word, richly uh, varied in its humanness and yet pervasively and entirely characterized by divinity. And here is a classic example of that because it isn't just uh, Isaiah who is saying, Behold my servant. It is God who is saying, Behold, my servant. And in this particular poem or song, the servant of the Lord is Jesus of Nazareth, isn't he? Now, there are some who take the name Christian to themselves and deny that. And I hope you find something shocking about that fact. What these people have done is to take up the arguments that the Jews advanced for denying that Isaiah 53 refers to the Messiah under the pressure of the proclamation of the gospel and the apologetic activity, the witnessing activity of the New Testament church. Prior to the incarnation through to the ascension and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, rabbis uniformly regarded Isaiah 53 as being predictive of the Messiah. When he came, of course, he wasn't recognized. And under pressure from uh, the witness of the newborn church, Jews had to recoil and try to reestablish the fact that they were connected with the Old Testament too. And so a host of arguments denying that Jesus was the one referred to here, began to appear. And what these people have done in the Enlightenment in the 18th century, fastened on to these anti-Christian, not just non-Christian, anti-Christian interpretations of Isaiah 53. What they did was to baptize, pardon the term, baptize these Jewish interpretations and give them a kind of Christian acceptability. Jesus is the one spoken of in Isaiah 53. And I can't believe that some of you would be here, or any of you, I'm sorry, would be here and deny that. But it's possible that there are some who are here who are not certain about it. And if that is the case, then I hope you're willing, most willing to be convinced, and that your doubts and difficulties will be like this marine layer that is hopefully soon to be dispelled. We've had sunshine in Wales, believe it or not. Um, But if you're uncertain, then the thing to do is to immerse yourself in the many and varied uses of Isaiah 53, in the New Testament. We'll be doing that as we proceed. But we've already one, read one of them, haven't we? Arguably the most striking of them all. Because here in Acts chapter 8. If you're uncertain about this. Here is someone asking you a question. Of whom speaks the prophet Thus, of himself or of some other? And the answer to that question was provided in the most remarkable ways. You think of how Philip was moved from Samaria to a desert place, left a ministry that was being richly blessed down to the desert in order that he might meet with this man and preach Jesus to him. And he preached Jesus with clarity, beginning at the same scripture. He preached to him Jesus. There was clarity and certainty in Philip's mind, where there was lack of clarity and uncertainty in the mind of the Ethiopian. And on this particular matter that Jesus is the Christ of God, you have to be clear and certain, and you have to preach him as such, Jesus of Nazareth, that Jesus is the Christ, prophet, priest, and king of God. See to it in all your future preaching that you preach Jesus as the Christ of God. Do it with clarity, do it with certainty, be forever referring to him. And refer him to everything. That is truly Christian preaching. So this passage should be of great help to you. In Acts chapter 8. If you are uncertain or doubting. But it also has something to say to us. Who are certain on the matter. In addition to causing anyone to reflect upon a denial that the servant is Jesus, and in addition to helping anyone who doubts that the servant is Jesus, this passage has something to say to us who are certain by God's grace, who have long been certain, and still are. Because the remarkable thing you see is this that this Ethiopian had Isaiah 53 in his hand. He was reading it. Now, when you read Isaiah 53, almost inevitably, many of us, at least hopefully all of us, are thinking of Jesus. But he was reading it, and he wasn't able to think of Jesus. Jesus in spite of the fact that he'd been to Jerusalem. The Jerusalem in which Jesus had died. The Jerusalem in which early preaching about Jesus had been heard. And thousands converted. And yet, in spite of all that, is it conceivable to you that having procured a copy of Isaiah for himself, he had resources, financial resources, obviously, to do so, in addition to procuring that copy for himself and reading this, this crystal clear, lucid statement, he yet comes up with this incredible statement of whom speaks the prophet this of himself or of some other he seemed to know that it was an individual and not a corporate figure but was it Isaiah the prophet or was it some other male now here's the point Isaiah 53 is not self-explanatory. It's not as clear in itself as it has become to us. Sure, we should read it with a New Testament in our hearts and our heads... But remember that when these statements were made, here's a prediction. It's not an epistle. Here's an anticipation. It's not a fulfillment. There are shadows here. The reality is going to come. Occasionally people refer to the gospel of Isaiah. And that's perfectly understandable and acceptable as long as we remember that it's a prediction rather than a description of the reality. When he came, a great light flooded the Old Testament, was cast upon it, and as a result, the Holy Spirit was poured out. So that if any of us this morning is able to say, Jesus of Nazareth is the servant of the Lord, the Christ of God, and agree not only with Philip, but agree with Peter. You remember his sermon against thy holy servant Jesus. Herod, Pilate, the Gentiles, the Jews were gathered together to do whatsoever your hand and your counsel determined before to be done. If we're able to say this is that, this is he, Jesus of Nazareth is the servant of the Lord, then it isn't merely because of Isaiah 53 that we're able to say it. It isn't even merely because of the gospel records or the rest of the New Testament that we're able to say it. It's because like Simon Peter at Caesarea Philippi when asked whom do men say that I the son of man am? Who is this servant of the Lord in Isaiah? They say, oh, some say Jeremiah some say one of the prophets. Whom do you say that I am? Thou art the Christ the son of the living God you know the reply, don't you? If you say that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ of God, if you say that he is the servant of the Lord, then here's the explanation. Blessed are you, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You have been given Light from above to recognize life, life eternal in Jesus Christ. Walk in that light till traveling days are done. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we give thee thanks that thou hast enlightened our darkness and we're amazed that we never saw how clear thy word is and how inevitable it is. That only Jesus of Nazareth, Thine incarnate Son, could be the one spoken of, in the terms in which, the terms which cha- this chapter uses. We thank Thee for Thy Word. We thank Thee for Thy Spirit, its ultimate author. We thank Thee for the way in which both point us to Jesus Christ and keep us beholding Him, Thy Son, our Lord. Our life. Grant that that may ever be so. For his sake. Amen. Copyright 2010, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.